I would like to speak on graduation, since this is the day that we've uh, decided to honor our graduates, and uh, we want to just take the time today and, and speak about what what is graduation and what does it really mean, and um, let's just discuss it how it applies to our spiritual life as well. Clearly, graduation. Uh, mark milestones in life. We graduate from numerous things. We graduate from kindergarten to first grade and from, from fourth grade or elementary school to middle school and, and middle school to high school. And then, of course, comes the big one, from high school to life. And then some go on to college and, and maybe even at some postgraduate degrees. And, and there's all forms of graduation, and, and they're all significant. They're all significant, and they're all very meaningful. And even though they are similar in meaning, yet they are very different in degrees of difficulty, there is one common element, though, in all forms of graduation, and that is this. Life moves on. Graduation is experiencing the moment, but life continues after the moment of graduation. And we spend a lot of time and effort getting to the day of graduation. We spend lots of hours in school in uh, doing our homework and studying and learning to work in teams of people and, and working through various projects and labs and project reports and term papers. And then, then comes the tests. Oh, there's test after test. There are many, many forms of teaching and learning and testing in the process of going and getting and making it to your graduation day. And when I went through school and I went through college and, and learned, I, I look back and I'm, and I'm wondering, what did I really learn in school? What do I walk away from? What did you walk away from from your education? And I don't know about you, but, but my experience says that I, I really wasn't as smart as I thought I was that, mo that day of graduation. <laughs> there were a lot of the things I had to learn yet in life. But I think there are three basic things that we learned in school besides the obvious um, three R's and uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic. We, number one, we learned the process of learning. We learned how to learn. There is a technique to learning. And I think one of the best things we learn in school is how to learn, how to continue to learn new things. And then we also, number two, we learned that there's a lot more to learn than what I've already learned that there's a lot of things that have to be done, and, I, and, and there's no way that I could get it all done in my 12 years of, of high uh, up through high school and then my four years of college work and so forth, that there's a lot more to learn. And then thirdly, I think a good education will humble us to let us know that we do not know it all, the moment of graduation, but it makes us hungry for more knowledge and new learning experiences. A good education brings a degree of humility in that you realize that you've, you've only made it thus far, but you have a lot more, a lot further to go. And so the, those three things of, of, of education, learning how to learn, knowing that there's more to learn, and then giving me a hunger to learn more, really is what a good education consists of. And that's good. And, and then comes the big day. Then comes the ceremony of the graduation and all the pomp and circumstance and, and the family shows up and the parties and, and all, that, all that happens. And that's a big day. And then it's over. The big day's over. And then the question is, what's next? What happens next? We made it to that point, but what happens next? And, and when I look at that from a spiritual perspective, that gives me a lot of similarities in my Christian walk as well. That as all the work it took me to get to graduation day 
all the effort it took me to get there, all the hard work, all the diligence, all the, the uh, patience, the perseverance, all of that. And then comes the moment of graduation. It's similar to my time of salvation because there's a lot of work in all reality to getting saved. And then the moment of salvation is really a graduation day and then comes living thereafter. So um, I want to review this morning the three basic steps of salvation. There's three basic steps that we need to go through in our salvation experience. Number one, we first need to recognize that we're lost and that we need a Savior. Number, that's number one. Number two, we need to come to a belief in Jesus and what he did for us. And then number three, we need to repent of the sin and ask him to forgive us. Now, in all that, that's pretty basic. And I want to go through each one of these steps in a little more detail. And I want to define the terminology here because we speak Christian ease a lot. And I'm not so sure that those terms mean a whole lot to people in the world. What does it mean to be lost? Let's define some terminology as we go through here so that we, we are clear in our speaking. And this would be a good opportunity for those that wanted to take some notes and write some of these things down because this might help you explain situations and people in your life when you're going to administer to them and, and teach them because we all are leaders. The moment you become saved, you're a leader and you are to lead people to Christ. And to do that, you need to educate people sometimes. So let's go back. A person that is lost is a person that knows where he is physically. He just doesn't know where he is spiritually. So a lost person, you know you're sitting in a church in Charlevoix. You're not lost physically. You know exactly where you're at. But do you know where you're at spiritually? A person without a conversion experience, we are all naturally born in the flesh. And our human nature doesn't have a lot of regard for godly things. Now, some people are better than others just to our nature. There are some really nice people, then there are some people that aren't so nice in their nature. But it doesn't make any difference what your natural makeup is. We're all lost spiritually. Now, if you walk up to almost any person on the street that isn't a born-again Christian and you ask them the simple question, are you going to heaven? Most of them will say they don't know. They will want to think they are, but they really don't know. Nobody wants to go to hell. If you believe in hell, nobody wants to go to hell. So naturally, we're going to say, yeah, we're going to go to heaven, but we really don't know. A person that doesn't have a salvation experience with Christ they don't know. They, they, will, they, will think that they will think they are, they, and they may think so because of their, their good people. They're better than the next guy. They don't do all the bad things in life. They're better than somebody else, so that'll probably get them into heaven. And they probably will justify it to say, you know, a loving God will never send a good person to hell. And I am a good person. So a loving God would never send me to hell. I'm, I'm too good for that. But as you, as you continue to talk to them, you will discover that they have really nothing solid to land on. They have nothing solid to base their beliefs on because they don't know, because they're spiritually lost. They're, just, they're grasping for anything they can think of to justify why God wouldn't send them to hell, why they wouldn't spend any eternity in hell. So they're just grasping. But Scripture tells us 
specifically where we're at. And I'm going to take this down the path here this morning of what the Scripture talks to us about, about our real nature. So we, we have to, the first part of, of becoming a, a, a needing or walking through salvation is recognizing first that we are lost and we need a Savior. If we don't know the problem, we will never have the resolution. So we must recognize first that we really are lost spiritually. And the Bible tells us that. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and, the, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. So our righteousness is like filthy rags. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through, 19, 19, 9 through 18 says this, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues are practiced deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now Paul is quoting in this passage of Scripture in the New Testament, he's quoting a number of Old Testament passages. And what's so interesting about this is that he is basically summarizing for us what the law does. The law, in the Old Testament law, doesn't save anybody. It cannot save you. The law cannot save you. All the law did was to show you that you were breaking the law because no one could live the law as to the commands. So the law then just shows us our sinfulness. It shows us that we need a savior. It, sh it shows us that we're not good enough in our own right. That's what the law does. And then later in verse, the same chapter of, of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, Paul goes right to the point, and he, he makes no bones about it. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us in our pre-salvation time, all of us were sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So there's no question about it. So that person on the street that wonders if he's good enough to make heaven on his own, the answer is no, he's not. The answer is no, I'm not. I cannot make and I will not make heaven on my own unless I have a graduation experience from lost to saved. Now a person that is lost, per our definition, is also called a sinner. So if you hear the word sinner, that's the same thing as being a person that's lost. So we understand what that means. Um, and we've just understood, we've just described that all sinners in our, in our natural man are lost. A sinner, we're lost. Now what's interesting about going to high school and going through school is some people, when they're listening to a particular topic in school, they get it quicker than the, the, the kids sitting next to them. Some are just smarter in certain areas. Some really have to work hard to grasp it, and some don't. Same thing with salvation. 
Some people just will be quicker to recognize their sinful nature. And they'll be quicker to come to Christ. Some, it takes more work. It takes more effort. And here's the thing, I think, for those that struggle in their sin, or struggle maybe in their self-righteousness, sometimes they get angry at people when people tell them that they're a sinner. See, if I was a, if I was a struggling student in school, and if I had a good teacher, my teacher would recognize that I'm struggling. And my teacher would put in extra work on my behalf to help me to learn the topic, help me to learn and master the subject. Because I can't go on to the next subject until I master this one. I have to have precept upon precept, right? Especially in math or English, really, or in any subject. Most subjects depend on what you learned last year if you're going to be good for this year. So you have to have that. And so a good teacher will not let a student struggle on their own. And the same thing with a good friend that sees a friend of theirs struggling in their Christianity or maybe their lack of Christianity. A good friend will see someone struggling in their carnal living and say, and go to them and, and pray for them first of all, and then they will go to them and invest time in their life and invest effort in their life. Because, we, because they know that their friend has to move on to that next level of experience. Now, if I'm a good student, I will appreciate the teacher that spends extra time on my behalf because I know that that teacher is doing it for me, not for them. That teacher, all that extra work that teacher is putting in is not getting paid more if I pass. All the work that they are putting into me is for my benefit. As a person living in the world, and if I have a person that's willing to invest in me if I am that struggling, carnal person that thinks I'm good enough but really don't have that salvation experience, or maybe there's fruit in my life that isn't lining up with God's Word, and I have a Christian brother that walks up alongside of me, I would be wise if I was that person not to get angry at the person that comes to me and says, let me help you. Let me help you in this area. Let me help you. Get your, you're struggling in this area of sin in this one particular thing. And, and the enemy would come, the devil will come to that person that's struggling, and he will put an, an element of pride in you to say, no man's going to tell me what to do. That's not godly, and that's not coming from a God perspective. That's coming from the enemy of your soul. But a wise man that sees that and a brother walks up to him, he would welcome that advice, and he would say, yes, I am struggling. Can you help me? And that man would help and be able to help. And so um, let's appreciate people that are willing to invest in us. Now, for those that are investing in other people, let me give you this encouragement. Keep going. Don't give up on them. Maybe you have a friend or maybe you have an acquaintance that just isn't getting it. They're that struggling student. They're that person that just struggles in their own humanity, that person that struggles in their own carnality and thinking that they're good enough to make it. If you see a person like that, and if the Lord has placed a burden in your life, don't stop. Keep pressing in. Love that person. I know you're not coming to them in self-righteousness and, and, and anger. You're coming to them to love, in love. So keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Keep digging in. Keep pressing in because you're doing it for their benefit because someday, like that one student that will look back after his graduation day and thank that teacher for helping them, someday in eternity, 
that person that you've pressed in on and you've helped and you've brought them to a moment of salvation, they will thank you with everything they have because they're spending eternity in heaven and not hell because you didn't give up. Moms, grandmas, grandpas, keep praying for your grandkids. Keep praying for your kids. Friend, keep digging in. Keep working hard. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them because it's worth it. So that's the first step. The first step in becoming a Christian is understanding that you need Jesus. The first step is understanding that you are a sinner, that you are lost. The second step, then, is a coming to a belief in who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you. That person that recognizes their loss, but now what does it mean to get saved? What's that word saved mean? Saved means that you are now graduating from the condition of being spiritually lost to a condition of being spiritually found or spiritually saved in for eternity's sake. Because a person that is lost, when they die... As a sinner, the Bible says they go to hell. And hell is not a good place to go. Hell is a, is a terrible place. It's a place of, of eternal damnation, a place of eternal punishment. That's where lost people go. That's where sinners go. But people that graduate from sin through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they are promised an eternity of heaven, which is living with God, which is which is benefit beyond anything we can even begin to describe here on earth today. So, the second part is, is we need to understand, we need to come to a belief in Jesus and for what he did. The actual point of getting saved, the actual process of salvation is very easy. We're to believe in Christ. We're to believe in who Jesus is. We must recognize that God loves us and that he wants all men to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. John 3, 16 and 17. John 3, 16. Everybody probably knows that by heart. You've seen it at every football game. At a professional football game, you look in the end zone, somebody's got a sign up that says John 3, 16. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There is that word saved. Again, we move from a condition of being lost to a condition of being saved through the blood of Christ. And Jesus took the very necessary step to secure our salvation for us. See, it wouldn't have been enough for Jesus just to come and live on earth as a perfect man and live 33 years or even 133 years for that matter than just to die a natural death. No, what Jesus had to do for us is that he had to die for us. He had to die as a perfect sacrifice for our sin because God's justice system says this, if a person sins, that there must be a sacrifice. The Old Testament, the sacrifices were of animals. And, and the shed blood of animals, but they provided a, a temporary uh, time of forgiveness for our sins. It wasn't until Jesus died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice that he became the sacrifice for all. And then through the shed blood of Christ, Jesus paid our penalty. He hung on the cross and he paid the price that I couldn't pay for my sin. He did that for us. 
Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for the most vile man that ever lived. He died for the, most, for the, for the worst person that you could ever imagine. Jesus died for him. He just didn't die for the good person. He died for all of us. And because of that, while we were still powerless, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. You want a graduation gift? That is the best graduation gift anybody could give you is eternal life. The best graduation gift you will ever receive is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, and now, as a result, he is giving you eternal life. Wow. That is graduation day. That is the day we need to be, we need to be excited about. That's the day we're gonna, we need to have victory in because he did it through this. And how did he do it? He did it because he died for us. And he did it because he rose for us. He just didn't die for us, but he rose for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 2 through 5 it says this, by this gospel, you are saved. There's that word again. You are saved. Remember, we've lost, we moved from a condition of being lost. I don't know where I'm at spiritually. Now I know where I'm at spiritually because the gospel, which is the good news, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for your, our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to these Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. So the fact that Jesus died is all part of it. But he had to raise from the dead. That proved the power of God that he could raise a dead man, that he rose Jesus. When Jesus hung on the cross, he embodied all of my sin. All of sin of mankind was on Jesus at that time on the cross. It was so powerful. It was so evil. It's hard to believe that, but it was so evil that God the Father had to look away for the moment that Jesus bore the sin. But when he died, the sin died with it. When he rose, life rose with it. So when Jesus rose from the dead, now I can rise from the dead. I have that promise of eternal life. I have that graduation gift called eternal life because Jesus took my penalty. He took my price, the thing I couldn't pay for, and he paid for it in full. And that's what we have today. That's step number two. But there's one more step, and this is the most important step of all of it, because God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. But there's one very important element, and this is it right here. If I am going to be a saved man, I must do my part in this. If I don't do this, then whatever Jesus did over here doesn't apply to me. And this is it. 
I must repent of my sin. And I must ask Jesus to forgive me. If I don't do that, then everything Jesus did, the first two steps, don't apply to me. They don't apply. It only applies when I then take the choice that God made us with. See, God gave us all free choice. In the Garden of Eden, when he created man, he gave us all a choice. Now, this is the most important choice a person could make. And that is that I must call on Jesus. I must first recognize my sin. I must secondly understand that Jesus died on the cross for me. And number three, I must repent of my sin and ask him to forgive me of my sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and, for, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a simple process, folks. The hard part is understanding who you are. The hard part is understanding and, and being willing to look honestly at yourself. That's hard. I understand it. It's painful. It's not fun to look at myself and see myself as a sinner. It's not fun to look at myself and see myself as not good enough. But I must go to that level of misery. I must allow my life to get to that level of misery where I understand that I am not going to make it on my own. There's nothing I can do on my own unless I see myself honestly for who I am and for what I am. And what I am is a wretched sinner. And then when I see that, and I go through that hard work of acknowledging that, and then I might struggle a little bit with, okay, who is this Jesus? What is he going to do for me? And when I allow that to happen now, the easy part comes that says, yes, forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. See, at that moment, that's the graduation day. Graduation day, the work's all done. Graduation day, I'm sitting there with my gown and cap and gown on. I'm waiting for, waiting for the pomp and circumstance, and the work's all done. I just received my diploma. The moment of graduation for the, for the Savior, or for the, for the person moving into a saved position with Jesus Christ, is that simple. It is just the moment to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. So this morning, there's a whole other level of living afterwards, which we'll talk about another day. But I want to stop right here. And this is where I want to end it. I want to say, okay, this is graduation day. This is graduation day. And I want us all to look in our hearts this morning and, and be challenged by the Lord this morning and, and ask, am I, am I prepared for graduation day? Am I prepared? Let me give you a, um, a question that will be asked of some form. I can't say exactly how it's going to be asked because I'm not God, but I will tell you that he will ask this question. What did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? All right. And then the second question he might ask is, why should I let you in heaven? Why should I let you in heaven? Let me give you the answer. We all like answers to the test, don't we? Here's the answer. It's not because I was good enough. It's not because I could do it on my own. 
the answer, the only answer that's going to be correct that day is this. Because Jesus died for me. Because Jesus took my sin. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ covers me, like we sang this morning, oh, the blood, oh, the blood. The shed blood of Jesus covers me. And because, Father, I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin, I have every right to be here. And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful. That's the answer. Well done. That's the answer. That's all I wanted from you, was to say that Jesus was your sacrifice. Jack, if you'd come. This morning, as we close this morning, I just want to ask you, what will you tell Jesus that day? What will you tell God the Father that day? What will your answer be? Would you close your eyes and just bow your hearts with me and close your eyes? And just self-examine your heart this morning, if you will. Just take some time now. And put yourself advanced. Move yourself advanced a few years, or it might even be a few seconds because we don't have any idea how long life we have. But when you get before God that day, and he says, Mike, put your name in there. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with him? What did you do with my son? I sent him to you. I loved him with everything I had. And I sent him into that world, that evil world down there, and I let him die for your sins. What would you do with him? What would you do with my son? Did you ask him in your heart? Did you ask him to forgive you of your sins? Or did you blow him off? Or did you wait and say, oh, not important, I got my own way? Let me tell you, folks, the only answer to that question is going to be I applied Jesus' blood to my life. This morning, if you have done that, if you have applied Jesus to your life at some point in time in your, in your life, would you raise your hand? Would you show me if you have already done that? If Jesus lives in your heart right now. Now let me ask you another question. If he hasn't, if he isn't, if you don't know for sure, I mean for sure, if there's any question, if there's any question, you must find the right answer. So let me ask another question. If you don't know for sure, and you want that, and you want to know for sure, with all eyes closed, would you raise your hand and show the Lord that you want to know for sure? I see that hand. I see that. The Lord sees that. More importantly, the Lord sees that hand. Amen. Most important question anybody could ever ask. Do not let pride slip in here. Do not let pride slip in here. Amen. Thank you. I see that hand. That's good. Amen. All right, if you'd stand with me. We're going to sing the song, I Surrender All. And if you want to just come in, and, and uh, I'm going to open the altars for a few minutes. I know we have the food next door, and it'll be there when we get there in just a few minutes. But I just want to offer an opportunity for everyone that already has Jesus in your heart, if you just want to come down and say, thank you, Jesus. If you want to come in and recommit your life to the Lord this morning, I'm going to stand up here, and I would like you to come to me so I can pray with you, that we can recommit your life to Jesus this morning and make sure 
so important. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing the song and let's just move and do as the Lord prompts us to do in Jesus' name. Just as I am without one plea, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it goes forth today, Lord, as truth. And, Lord, we just thank you for your mercies and your grace. We thank you, Father, for your salvation power. We thank you, Lord, that, that you have saved us and you save us day after day after day, Lord. And we every day we ask one more time, like we said at the very beginning of the service, Lord, search our hearts today. Search our hearts and see if there be any offensive way, Lord, that we know that we can walk with you daily, Father, in spirit and in truth, that we can worship you, as your word says we must. Lord, I thank you for this day. And Lord, as we go now into the next door to a fellowship time, we pray your blessings on the food. We pray your blessings on the fellowship there. Father, for everyone that prepared food today, we thank you for that. And we honor you today as we honor our graduates and as we honor you in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.